0: Our first scripture lesson this day comes from Numbers. We're in the 11th chapter. We'll read verses 16 and 17, and then 24 and 25. So the Lord said to Moses, "'Gather for me 70 of the elders of Israel, "'whom you know to be the elders of the people "'and officers over them. "'Bring them to the tent of meeting "'and have them take their place there with you. "'I will come down and talk with you there, "'and I will take some of the Spirit that is on you "'and put it on them.'" And they shall bear the burden of the people along with you, so that you will not bear it all by yourself. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Here ends the reading of God's Word. So as Janine pointed out to each of us, we are working our way through a worship series called Forever Pieces. She named for our children all those pieces that we have examined to this point in our journey. This day we focus on the forever piece of the pew. We do so with not only this text from Numbers that I read just a moment ago, this text where Moses is asked asking for help from God. And so God calls together these 70 elders and then puts the Spirit of God upon them. And so we're, we recognize in that moment that indeed um, we are all ministers of the good news. We are all to be at work in the world sharing that news with all people. Um, and then in this passage of Ephesians, we get a little more specific, actually. We're going to read in chapter 4 from verses 1 through 7 and then 11 through 16. So I invite you to listen for God's word to each of you and to the church this day. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, Just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery and by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. So I was thinking about this forever piece of the pew. I couldn't help but think about the pew that I occupied at John Knox Presbyterian Church, along with about 15 other high schoolers. We would sit in the far back right pew of that sanctuary and we would make a ruckus every single week. And I think there's something poetic about me being a preacher now because I can't imagine the turmoil that my preacher had to deal with as we would snicker and laugh and pass notes the entire time. But that pew over time became a holy place for me and for those young people that I got to sit beside there. You know, I've made it a practice since I started here at Idlewild to begin our time together in the pew. First, it was over in the penalty box here, and then right, lately it's been right here in the front row pew. I spend a few moments when I'm seated in that pew contemplating what I bring with me to this place. What are the things that I carry with me into worship and then into the pulpit? But I also spend a few moments contemplating what it is that you bring with you to your pew this day. Because it turns out that worship cannot and does not happen in a vacuum. We bring our whole selves to this place. So we bring our joy to this place. The laughter of our children, the memories perhaps of our childhood, maybe even in the same pew that you were seated in this day. We bring the joy of stories of recent adventures and perhaps of of new love. And we bring also our, our worries. We bring worries over our finances and our marriages. We bring worry over those test results that haven't come back yet. Worries over our children and their futures. Worries over our planet and the brokenness that we see around us. We bring our joy, but we also bring our worry. And indeed, each of us in a different way brings our pain to this place. Pain from brokenness and betrayal. Pain of lives that haven't lived up to our expectations. We bring the pain of infidelity and addiction. The wounds that have been inflicted upon us, but also the wounds that we have picked up along the way. We don't know how. We also bring with our pain our hope. Hope for our families and relationships. Hope for reconciliation in our world. Hope for our communities and our city. Hope for our schools. Perhaps even hope for our church. Rosaria Butterfield says, We may never know the treacherous journey that people have taken to land in the pew next to us. And I would extend that to say, We may never know the joy and the worry, the pain and the hope that the people seated next to us in the pew bring with them. So Paul spoke to the early church in Ephesus. He was speaking to them about what it is that they bring with them into their worship. I had a church member just in the narthex before worship say that he has attended that place in Ephesus. Seen where it was that that young church would gather together. The acoustics are, are perfect. They would gather in that place, not on pews like these, but probably on stone. And they would be seated, and Paul wanted them to know that they were not coming to that place in a vacuum. He wanted them to recognize and appreciate the things that they brought with them into community. So he begins in the text that we just read from Ephesians four. he brings, uh, begins with the attitudes that they bring with them. We all bring different attitudes. Paul encourages the early church in a particular way. He encourages them, he encourages them to bring with them an attitude that is humble and gentle and patient. Bring with them an attitude that would bear with one another in love. An attitude that would make every effort to maintain the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. He knows they're coming with some sort of attitude. So what does it need to look like and what does it need to be? He starts by telling them, explaining to them what it should look like. Then he reminds them, that early follower group, He reminds them that they, whether they know it or not, bring with them unity. When Paul said unity, he meant that all things are united. So he says there is one body and one spirit, church. There is one hope and one Lord, one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. You might have brought with you to this place a spirit of separateness. You might think that you've only traveled here by yourself. But the reality is that any thought of separateness is a myth. You bring to this place unity, he says. And then he gets specific. He says, but each of you, even in your unity, you have different gifts. And you've brought them with you like superpowers. Lucy, you have a lot of superpowers. I'd say prayer is one of them too that you could add to the list. You bring with you different gifts, Paul says, and then he gets specific. He says the Spirit of God has equipped you, the church in Ephesus, in particular ways. Some will be apostles, which for us in the Greek means those who will be sent. Some of you will be willing to travel, perhaps to Cuba or to some other place where we do outreach. Some of you will be willing to take the time to get on a plane and go. He says, some of you will be apostles. You'll be sent to different places. Some of you, you are prophets, ones who speak on behalf of the divine. Others of you, you are evangelists, ones called to bring good news. Others of you, you are pastors. There's not just one pastor amongst us. Indeed, anyone who shepherds and cares for their neighbor cares for sheep in the fold of God. That's a pastor. Then he says, finally, some of you are teachers. Perhaps you do that in your daily life as well, but you have a gift for connecting with people. And you can teach and shape lives in ways that you scarcely imagine. The question, though, is there for the people in Ephesus to ask, why have the people been given these particular gifts? For what purpose? And Paul says is at least twofold. The church has been given all of these gifts, apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the works of ministry. And then, and even in the midst of that, to build up the body of Of Christ. So each of those seated in the pews that day, hearing the reading of Paul's letter, would have recognized themselves in in one of the dimensions of the gifts that he described. And then they will have noticed, as, as he goes forward in the letter, that the purpose of that gift is to equip those saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. They might ask, for how long must we do this? I taught Sunday school when my kids were really young. I I don't want to do that anymore. I've been doing it for a really long time, they might say. Until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, Paul says, and to the full measure, the stature of Christ Jesus. So a long time, Paul says. I was thinking about these different ways in which we are equipped, but I was thinking about y'all seated in your pews this week when I read a story from one of my favorite authors, Justin McRoberts. He has a couple different prayer books that have been incredibly formative for me. One of them is 40 Days with Prayer, And, and in between those prayers, he tells short stories. Here's one of them. It's about a traveler and a companion, and for me, it spoke to the people that you are seated next to in your pew this day. A traveler and his companion, they were preparing for a long journey. In preparation, the traveler packed a second coat. His companion, watching him, asked, why are you bringing a second coat? The traveler responded, I will need it. The traveler then packed a second pair of shoes and his companion asked, why are you bringing a second pair of shoes? I will need them, he says. And he packs extra food, two of every kind of food. He brings along. Why are you bringing two of every kind of food? I will need it, he says. Perhaps like you, as I read the story this week, you think you know where it's going. The traveler's companion finally set his small bag down and said, Look how heavy your load is. Mine is light. I have but one coat, one pair of shoes, and just enough food for the days that we will be walking together. Why do you need so much? And the traveler said, Because your coat is old and thin. And your shoes are old and worn. And having walked with you quite a number of miles, I also know that you can grow quite hungry. Confounded, the companion said, but when I asked you about these things, you told me that you would need them, not that I would need them. The traveler said, you are my companion. So long as we walk together, there is no difference between your needs and my own. thought about it this week, came in here and spent a little time just seated in different pews, and I thought about what it means that, that the people seated next to you are indeed companions on your journey. You might not even know their names. You might have just read it in the friendship pad as it was passed to you or back, or you might know them better than anyone else in the entire world knows them. But it strikes me that if the pew or the place where we are seated is the forever piece of the body of Christ known as Idlewild Presbyterian Church, if it is indeed that, then our needs are inextricably tied to each other. So long as we travel together, there is no difference between your needs and the needs of your neighbor. Each week I start in the pew. I spend a few moments contemplating what I bring with me and I spend a few moments contemplating perhaps what you bring with you. And I wonder, have you ever imagined how many people have been seated where you are seated this morning? Have you ever imagined what those people brought with them to this place? What joy or worry? What pain or hope? was seated right where you are this morning because as Janine rightly pointed out it's not about the pew it's about the people so what is it that the people of God do in these pews we pray together we contemplate God's word we sing together with joy we learn together we grieve and even celebrate together we sometimes weep, and we sometimes rejoice. We are encouraged, therefore, by the Apostle Paul to take a certain posture when we come into this place, to bring with us a certain attitude, one of humility and gentleness, one of patience that might birth the spirit and the bond of peace amongst us. We are reminded that any idea that we came to this place alone is a myth. Indeed, each of us is bound up in the body of Christ, united in ways that we can scarcely imagine. We are invited to reflect, each of us, on the unique gifts that the Spirit of God has equipped us with, some perhaps apostles, others prophets, others teachers, others pastors, each of us equipped in different ways to be about the ministry. Because what happens in these pews is that we practice. We practice here for a short time on a Sunday morning how we are supposed to live and be in the world. We practice that the people who are really close to us are our companions on the journey. Perhaps the people standing behind us or in front of us at line at Kroger or are parked beside us at a stoplight. Perhaps the people that we will pass in the hallways at work or school, they are our companions, and we practice here what it means to love and to care so that we can go out and do it better. And together, finally, we are built in love. At least that's what Paul says. That in our gathering, we are built in love so that we might help participate in God's building the world in love So we take our place in these pews so that we might grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. For in Christ, the whole body is joined and knit together by every ligament, and it is equipped. Some apostles, others prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, because each of us, when we are working properly, we promote the body's growth. In building itself up in love. So, beloved, we must return to this place each time. We must return to the pew in which we find ourselves this day, or perhaps one close to us, until we can see the full stature of Christ, until the whole body together is built up in love. So, how long might that take, you might ask? My answer would be I imagine it'll take forever.